0: Welcome back to the Real Life Combos podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Josh Kotz, and my goal as every uh, time we meet together, my goal is to bring you valuable content uh, through the stories and the life experiences of my guests, and so we do that by having real conversations about life, so try to bring on a wide variety of guests uh, for you to get to know a little better. Today, uh, my guest is Justin Dean, and uh, Justin and I, we have an online relationship and, uh, and that's that's the way we've met and uh and so um but but he has got a really um unique story in in his life as God has kind of used him in different um, areas and of uh, serving churches um and then we're going to talk everything from tacos to jesus right so uh Justin man, tell that's us' a little interesting
1: related though that's not a big gap I mean to me, tacos and jesus are.
0: Listen, when I, when I think of Sundays, I think of Jesus. When I think of Tuesdays, I think of tacos. <laughs> you know, at the end of the day, there's just two days in between, So Right. You know, for sure. Well, look, man, tell us a little bit about yourself.
1: Well, I mean, where, where do you want me to start? Like let's, at the start well, like,
0: let's start all the way down, man. Like, growing up, like, little bitty. Like, little bitty yeah. Justin, right? Yeah. So, uh, tell us about how you grew up, like, where you were all raised, right. and all that good stuff.
1: All right. So, uh, I was born in Anchorage, Alaska. Lived there till I was about six. Uh, I think right before my sixth birthday, we moved to Southern California, and so that's really where I grew up with Southern California. We, we lived in Huntington Beach. I went to high school down there, and um, you know, we we did school and go to Disneyland or go surfing and uh, and doing all that fun stuff. So really enjoyed growing up in Southern California. Uh, still kind of consider myself a. You know, Southern California boy, even though it's, it's been a long time since I've uh, lived there, that's for sure, but um, you know, made my way to Georgia eventually, had a, a sprint in Seattle, and we can definitely uh, you know, get into the details of Seattle and get into the details of why I'm in Georgia, but that's, that's where I'm at now. I, I live north of Atlanta with uh, my wife, and we've got four kids and uh, a dog, and we're even talking about getting another dog. Because uh, we're bored during the the quarantine, and that seems like a good idea.
0: <laughs> yeah. So we do not have currently a pet, but our our dog arrives in like a little over two weeks. What did you get? What kind? Uh, a Snorky. Okay. A <laughs> Yorkie and a schnauzer. As you schnauzer can tell. Yeah. As you <laughs> can tell, I've been very involved in the process. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All I know is That's it's right. a it's a small dog and it is hypoallergenic because one of my daughters is, is pretty allergic. Yeah, and I'm gonna figure it out. You know, it is what you it know,
1: is. It's, uh, I don't know. It's good and bad. Uh, you know, dogs dogs are awesome unless you get a bad one. Right. <laughs> we, dogs, we are, love
0: <laughs> dogs are awesome unless you get a cat.
1: Right. So uh. I, I would say invest the money or time or whatever you need to do to to train it well. Like we actually sent Arch yeah. to a dog camp for like ten days. she's great. She listens to everything you say now. That's a good, that's a good idea for sure.
0: For sure. So yeah. So Justin, so growing up, man, were you, were you raised in like a Christian home? Like what was the spiritual environment or like, you know, what were your like passions, you know, uh, as you were raised, kid, middle school, high school, all that kind of stuff.
1: Uh, It's, you know, my, my whole life story is a little interesting. It goes up and down, but the, the history of our family is Mormon. So my, uh, my mother, she was a Mormon, and her family going back, you know, hundreds of years was, was very, very Mormon. Her her dad was a, um, a bishop, you know, ha- had a ward in uh, Salt Lake City, Utah, and my dad came along and met her uh, somehow, and he was not a Mormon, uh, not a, a Christian or anything, really, and uh, in order to marry her, he had to become Mormon, so... He, you know, joined the Mormon church. They, uh, they did all that. My parents were actually married in the Salt Lake City temple, like the main one, which is, uh, you got to be very well connected for that to even happen. Uh, but literally, like no one was allowed into the wedding. Uh, few people could view through a window type of thing. Very, very weird. And uh, growing up, I guess we had a neighbor in Alaska who was uh, a Christian and him and my dad would always uh sit down with the book of mormon and the bible and they debate things left and right and uh, through those conversations uh my dad became saved and um, converted from mormonism to christianity and uh, my mom kind of came along with that and uh that uh, caused the Mormon church to, you know, excommunicate them and kick them out and the whole family and our, all of our cousins and everyone kind of, you know, disowned the family at that point. Um, and, uh, unfortunately right around that time, uh, caused just so much division in our family, I guess, and, and some other things, but, um, my parents divorced, um, right around the time that I was five years old. And so uh, the way the story goes is actually my dad was in Southern California on business, uh, actually looking for uh, employment, taking a job interview down in Southern California. And uh, my mom actually called him up and said, hey, uh, your kids, I'm the youngest of five, so there's five of us. Your kids are on an airplane uh, by themselves to Southern California. And uh, she sold the house and um, I remember sitting underneath a table, uh, we went to this, uh, like thrift store, uh, kind of swap meet type of thing. And I remember sitting underneath the little folding table, counting all the money because we were selling our toys and our belongings and things. And I just, you know, I was five, I had no idea what was going on. Uh, but I do remember that flight very first, uh, airplane ride, any of us had ever taken on a commercial airplane and, uh, me and my, my brothers, uh, and my sister, all just flying down to California, not knowing what the heck's going on. And so uh, moved to California. Uh, my mom disappeared for uh, quite a few years after that. She uh, you know, ran away with uh, someone else and uh, kind of just wanted to live her own life. Had kind of, you know, been frustrated at how many kids she ended up with and how uh, my dad, you know, was a complete workaholic type of guy. Um, and so we, you know, Luckily, my dad got that job in California, um, but uh, was not prepared to you know have housing right away and have to care for five kids right away so uh, we moved in with my grandma and uh, me and my dad uh, slept in an airstream trailer on her property, and uh, we built a three story bunk bed uh, inside for the for the other kids and we kind of you know lived with his mom, my grandma for a while until he could get on his feet and stuff he was also starting law school at night and so wow. uh growing up you know we uh, we all kind of went our separate ways we went to different schools because of our ages and we all grew up pretty independently uh me in particular because i was the the youngest my dad was working uh full-time as, as uh he was uh, VP at Allstate at the time is is what the the job was, but he was going to law school at night and become a lawyer. And so he was just gone all the time. Mom, you know, we didn't know where she was at the time. And, uh, you know, here I am living with grandma and uh, just kind of on my own. So that's kind of how I grew up through elementary school and junior high was very, very uh, independent and on my own. Um, We still considered ourselves Christians at that point. Um, although it wasn't a priority for my dad at all to have us go to church or anything. So we, we didn't, at least I didn't grow up going to church. My brothers and my sister, you know, they grew up going to, to Mormon church. And then for a while they were going to a a Christian church that our neighbor brought us to. But, uh, for me, I didn't really get into church until I was uh, a teenager, um, Growing up in Southern California, there's the uh, the Harvest Crusades uh, from Greg Laurie, and uh, I was invited to one of those one time. It was at Anaheim, you know, Angels Stadium, and uh, they hold these free events. It's a concert, and Greg Laurie preaches the gospel. And uh, I remember going to that. Um, I don't even remember who invited me. I think it was a family friend of ours. Just they thought it would be kind of a cool thing, and it was free. So we went and I heard that and it kind of, you know, it really fired me up and it made sense. And so great glory was holding a, a Monday night Bible study, uh, every Monday night at uh, a Calvary chapel church. It wasn't even his church. He just, he did it, uh, in Costa Mesa, California. And so I started attending those with our uh, family friend. And then my oldest brother uh, started going and, uh, through that, my oldest brother was, was saved. You know, if you know anything about Greg Laurie, he literally does an altar call every single time he mm-hmm. speaks and uh, thousands of people always come forward. I don't think he's ever done it where no one has come forward. Uh, he's just gifted in that way and God uses him in that way. And so my brother came forward and, uh, you know, I was still processing things. I think it took a few weeks. And then finally I, you know, came forward and, and decided, okay, I want to dedicate my life, uh, to Jesus. And, uh, you know, at that point, the way I always kind of described it growing up is, uh, you know, it kind of felt more like an engagement. Like, okay, I, you know, I'm interested in this and I, I want to be saved, but there was no one in my life to walk me through yeah. what to do after that. We, we still didn't attend church regularly as a family, by any means. We called ourselves a, as Christians. My dad would say we're Christians, but it just wasn't, You know, we we didn't live non-Christian lifestyles really by any means, but uh, we certainly weren't, you know, dedicated Christians by any means. And so I kind of just like, okay, cool. I'm saved now. Um, And, uh, you know, kind of told my friends too, like, hey, I'm a Christian now. (laughs) And I just didn't really know where to go from there. Um, And that was, gosh, I was probably 14, 13 or 14. I was in junior high, uh, about to go into high school. Um, and when I got to high school, things were, you know, a little different. It's it's very harsh, particularly in Huntington Beach, California. Uh, for a little bit of context, it's the skinhead capital of the world, um, and uh, you know, everyone else is just kind of a, a surfer. Everyone smokes pot, um, and uh, you know, it's just it's just kind of the way. And so you know, so, yeah,
0: it's like the backdrop for American History X, right? For that movie. Oh, like, it totally is. Yeah, like yeah.
1: like if you've seen that movie, like that's, you know, you, if you weren't a skinhead, you you knew skinheads and they knew you, and uh, it was just, you know, they either they either respected you and you respected them, you know, or uh, or you know you were against them. And so, you know, for us, it was like, okay, well, we weren't by any means part of it or or wanting to be friends with them, but it was just something that you deal with Mm -hmm. um, and uh, work around. And so, I mean, that was kind of high school for me was okay. Still kind of independent, you know, had a few friends, but really trying to figure out how do I fit in um, and how do I be a Christian, uh, you know, and, and do this. And so, for a while I struggled. I just didn't fit in um uh you know, I took some drama classes, and those kids were very accepting of uh you know building a community uh around that, but they were just they were weird and uh you know half of them were homosexual, and it just wasn't kind of the group that I really wanted to plug in with um and so the next group that I found that was willing to accept me was the the potheads. And uh, literally this guy with like, you know, three foot tall mohawk that he uh, molded together with egg whites every morning, Uh, you know, just punk rock kind of guy for whatever reason uh, was always interested in being my friend. And we had a few classes together and we'd talk, but I mean, he was just like a hardcore punk Huntington Beach guy. And me, I was just kind of like a normal looking kid i wasn't like a nerd but i wasn't you know i don't know i just wasn't anything at that point and so he was always trying to get me to smoke pot and um i'd always you know i'd always tell him no and it really was no big a deal but one day i said you know what fine i'll come over and uh i'll i'll smoke some pot let's do that and uh and so did that and uh that just turned into like okay that's what we do now uh and so for probably a good year would do that and uh, smoke weed with these guys. And, you know, they completely accepted. They were really great people and uh, became some of my best friends. And uh, that was just us and our friends. And that's what we would do. Uh, you know, my dad wouldn't even come home till like 10 o'clock at night. My brothers were older and doing their own things. By then, my sister was you know, college age and had a job and moved out. And so, you know, literally I would get up in the morning. No one would be home. They'd already be gone. I would go to school on my own. Uh, if I even went, uh, we'd literally would just sometimes go to Disneyland instead. And, uh, I'd come home and friends would come over and we'd, uh, drink beer sometimes and smoke pot. And, uh, but the whole time I'm saying, Hey, I'm a Christian. And, uh, and they were like, that's cool. You know, no one really, no one really cared. They were pretty accepting of stuff. Um, but, it, uh, it, it got to a point where I was maybe, you know, turning 16, I think is when it was, um, my dad by then was on his third or fourth marriage. Uh, a few stepmoms had come and gone and, uh, been part of the picture and uh, I really wasn't getting into too much trouble. Like I was a really good kid. Uh, I got straight A's. Um, I barely did any work, but I would always ace the tests. Um. And it just got to the point where I was kind of fed up. I just felt alone. Um, uh, you know, like literally I learned how to wash my own laundry because I came, it was in the sixth grade, actually, I came to school uh, wearing the same shirt that I wore the day before and it was kind of dirty. And my science teacher after class pulled me aside and, and uh, Miss Clancy, the only teacher I remember her name, she pulled me aside and said, uh, notice you were wearing that shirt yesterday. I know it's kind of dirty. like." Can you tell me more what's going on at home and kind of explain things to her. And, uh, so she took me, uh, we had a science lab with a washer and dryer and she took me and actually showed me how to wash clothes. And that's how I learned to wash clothes. And so dude, that's you know, all that did my own laundry. Yeah. She was. Yeah, so amazing. I,
0: so about that. I mean, isn't it, isn't it interesting that like, you know, teachers or coaches or whatever, right? Like, and she yeah. didn't have to do that. And no, that, no, that's, no. You know,
1: reported me or it could have gone, you know, these days it probably would go a different way.
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's, that's incredible, man, that that a teacher would just, you know, notice. And, and, and instead of, yeah, instead of taking like the politically correct route of like, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to have someone stop by your house later on and and, and confront your father. Right. She says, no, I actually want to help you. And I want to, I want to like mentor you and show you
1: yeah yeah it was incredible I mean it's one of those uh it's one of those memories that that sticks out. I remember her name. I remember what she looks like. I've tried looking her up before on Facebook and stuff' cause it'd yeah. be awesome to tell her that story <clears throat> uh,
0: yeah so did you battle um you know with with growing up in a divorced you know yeah. home and like you said multiple step moms and yeah um, did you know there's always cycles and and people actually process those things a lot differently uh did you ever face the bitterness battle or the you know the kind of like you know uh why is my life not the white picket fence right the white picket fence with yeah. the mom and dad and like you come home to dinner every night on the table and you know what i mean
1: right you know not really i mean there there were moments um i've always kind of had the personality of of uh, whatever like i've never i've never felt like a victim i've never wanted to be a victim um and uh i've always in fact i kind of grew up just kind of prideful of how independent I was and how well things went for me, uh, considering that I was, you know, almost completely raising myself. Um, you know, my, my older sister, uh, she got into hardcore drugs and went that route for a long time. Um, my oldest brother, uh, you know, he ended up, uh, uh, his his girlfriend got pregnant. They ended up getting married. Uh, God's completely redeemed both, you know, his marriage and, uh, and my sister as well. Um, and, uh, my, one of my other brothers, he actually ran away at, at 15 and, uh, became, uh, you know, kind of a full on hippie, uh, grows his own, uh, pot in Northern California. And, and, uh, you know, got into a ton of trouble going up, and we, you know, he's he's been gone since he was fifteen. We, we kind of were Facebook friends now, and that's about it. He uh, was he wasn't
0: in that um that that Netflix doc. I forget the name of it. The uh, mountain something mountain, where like it's it's the fight now between the legalized pot growers and we're yep. still
1: growing that's it. That's what it is. Like he hit, you know, he has a license, but you you can't just grow an acre of weed and sell it, like the, you know. It's, uh, it's interesting. I mean, he definitely does it the uh, illegal way. And, uh, and he may not even do it anymore from the rumors I hear now. Uh, I'm not so sure. But you know, he's 45 something now. And, uh, you know, last I saw, um, he's having a baby soon and stuff. Um, but he's, he's the one of the five who's, uh, you know, technically not a Christian, uh, as far as I can judge. And uh, uh, the rest of us have, have come around to uh, to lead Christian lives, which is awesome. Um, but, uh, you know, they all kind of went their own different ways. I never really, I mean, other than smoking weed in high school and messed around a bit like that, never really got, uh, I felt like I never really went down like a bad lifestyle or anything or, or used any of it as an excuse. Uh, I think it made me, you know, a pretty strong, well-rounded kid for the most part. Um, and my, you know, my dad was, was great. He wasn't around a lot cause he had to work, but at the same time he like kind of had to work to you know, feed five yeah. kids and, uh, and you know, rent and a mortgage in California and, uh, and stuff like that. And so I, I, grew up, you know, I had a good, a good life. Um, but it got to the point where I, I was a little fed up with it. I, I wanted some direction. I wanted to be closer to, to God. And so uh, I even wrote my dad a letter. I wish we still had it. Someone might, but I wrote my dad this letter just saying, you know, you've been a great dad, but at the same time, I, you know, I learned, uh, you know, how to do laundry from my sixth grade teacher and no one's teaching me about, uh, you know, God or or how to live life or anything. I mean, you know, he just wasn't around to, to teach me too many things, uh, other than uh, about, you know, business and stuff like that, or there, there were definitely good moments there. Um, and my, my mom eventually came back into the picture. She called us up one day and said, I'm, I'm remarried and I'm living, uh, in California now. And, uh, and for a while, uh, we were voluntarily, uh, visiting her like on the weekends and stuff. Um, and, you know, today she's become a a Christian as well too. And, and that relationship has been, uh, redeemed, uh, for sure over the last, you know, 10, 10, 20 years. Um, but right around that 16 year old Mark, um, I went to live with my older brother who got married and had a kid and, and he, uh, he, you know, became a Christian as well. And, uh, I just said I'm kinda of fed up. I need some direction. I need some discipline. And so he said, Well, look, you know, you can come live with me. You gotta stop smoking pot. You gotta, you know, go to school. And uh when you're done with school, you gotta get a job. And uh it was kind of just like, okay, no problem. Like none of that was a problem for mm-hmm. me. I, I was able to stop everything. I wasn't addicted to anything by any means. And uh but he, you know, he said, you got to come to church with us. And and that was great. That's that's when I started going to church regularly, became part of a youth group regularly, uh, eventually got a Christian girlfriend, uh, you know, through that and, uh, and felt like my life was really just getting on a, a really good path uh, with God there. Um, and, it, you know, and things were fine uh, until I got to the age where, okay, I need to actually get a job. And get my own place. Um, I, I started going to community college at night and trying to uh, figure out what is the path for me as an adult and uh, got a job as like a filing clerk, or an accounting filing clerk at a, at a big uh, bank banking company. And uh, one day their IT manager stopped showing up and no one was there to fix the computers and things. And I grew up around computers. One thing my My dad always got us the newest technology and computers and things. So I grew up just, you know, teaching myself that stuff with nothing else to do. And so I kind of raised my hand. I said, well, you know, tell you hire someone like I can, I can keep the network up running. I can fix the printers. I can reboot people's computers. Like, you know, let me. I can,
0: I can, I can turn them off and turn them back on. Yeah. yeah, And
1: so I stepped into that and, uh, you know, I was, gosh, I was like 20, 19, 20. And, uh, and ended up, they said, well, you're doing a great job at this. Like, why don't, why don't we just switch your roles? And so I was, you know, 20 years old, they were paying me 60 grand a year. And I was the IT manager of, you know, a good 25, 30, uh, computers and, and, and employees that work there. And so I stopped going to college. I was like, what do I need to go to college for, I already know, like, and I love doing it. So, uh, I did that for, for a long time. Uh, but being 20, 21 now growing up in Southern California making 60 grand a year with really nothing to spend it on. Man. I just, I just lived it up. Like I was, I was the buddy, like, you know, I still didn't have any close friends. And so I was the guy that made friends by paying for the meals and buying Mm -hmm. drinks for everyone. We'd go to Vegas and have fun and come back and, you know, again, never really doing anything crazy. Just, you know, being, you know, going out and having a good time. And, uh, But through all that, like, I would speed everywhere. I was just, like, didn't care uh, about anything. And uh, I just – I liked to drive, and I liked to drive fast. And so I would speed everywhere. And I kept accumulating speeding tickets, and I'd get them, I'd pay them, and I'd go to court. Uh, But apparently, if you get six speeding tickets within a six-month period, that's, like, a lot. That's too too much. (laughs) So they say. So they say. I got a letter one day saying my license has been suspended and I'm supposed to surrender that voluntarily and uh I didn't do that. Uh I still had a job, you know, paying a lot of money that I need to get to, and so I was like, well that's stupid. Like I'm I'm just gonna continue to drive to to work and uh you know, maybe I'll slow down a little bit. Uh but uh I didn't and uh eventually got arrested for driving with the suspended license. And I went to, went to court and uh, the judge was like, Hey, if you, you know, you're going to pay this fine. They impeded my car and everything. He said, if I ever see you in here again, though, I'm throwing you in jail. And I was like, okay, yeah, deal. Went back, got my car out. Um, I think they, they granted me a a temporary license for for a while and then continued to to drive for a while and uh, ended up getting uh, arrested again uh, or actually that guy got pulled over again. The guy actually let me go, but I had to appear in court. Uh, but I was like, man, you know, he said, if I ever go back there again, he's going to throw me in jail. So I'm just not going to show up for that one. And, uh, that eventually led to, of course, a, a warrant for my uh, arrest, which they don't actually just come and get you. Uh, they could have, I guess, but they don't, they don't come and get you if you have a, like a bench warrant for, you know, a failure to appear in court. And so I lived with that for, I don't know, probably a good six months, maybe longer of uh, driving with no license, having a warrant out for my arrest. And uh, things were great, kind of went back to how things were. Um, and uh, by then I, I had brought in a roommate. And for whatever reason, uh, this guy left his credit card out. And, uh, and I'm just, I, I don't know, I'm just sharing everything with you right now.
0: Hey, go Boy, ahead, um, man. Real, <laughs> listen, real conversations about
1: life. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> for whatever reason, like, again, you know, I made good money for a, you know, 20, 21 year old kid by now. And, uh, but I was just like, Hey, left his credit card out. I'm going to, I'm going to take that. And uh, we were going to Vegas again that weekend. I took it to Vegas and, uh, kind of, you know, bought a good time for, for my buddies, uh, you know, food and stuff. Not like that. Yeah. yeah. Not, not like (laughs)
0: like Vegas. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. Yeah.
1: Like literally we just indulged in the buffet and gambled a bit and drank like that was, that was about it. Uh, but I came back, returned the credit card, and I was like, well, that was fun. Cool. That was a free little weekend. And uh, months went by and uh, kind of got away with it. I don't know what the heck I was thinking. Like, how would, how would you get away with that? Um, I knew his parents were wealthy, and so maybe they wouldn't even notice. But one day I was uh, in bed, and it was like 2 a.m. I'm asleep, and I wake up to uh, two uh, sheriffs uh, looming over me saying, get up and get dressed. Uh, your roommate has uh, filed a complaint that you stole his credit card and uh, um, we don't have any proof of that uh, other than his accusation but when he called we uh, ran your info um, and you have a, a warrant uh, for your arrest so we're gonna arrest you for the warrant while we investigate the credit card thing so I went to jail uh, and it was like a Friday um, and uh, it was Super Bowl weekend. I remember that because I watched the Super Bowl from jail. And uh, um, during this time in jail, before I actually went to court, uh, my dad, who by then was a lawyer, was able to actually go talk to my roommate and uh, either kindly convinced him or strong armed him. I still don't know. But uh, he he got my roommate to agree to say, hey, I, I was wrong. I, I forgot that I lent him my credit card. And uh, here's a signed uh, contract saying that that happened, and my dad paid him back for the charges and and then some, and uh, and so that was that concern was gone, um, the the credit card concern. Um, but I was stuck in jail and uh, appeared in court for these uh, speeding tickets and failure to appear, and uh, the judge just was not uh, was not happy there. Uh, my my dad actually showed up with a team of lawyers. Uh, one of them actually worked like the OJ case and stuff. I mean, these, he called in like every favor to get his, uh, his, you know, best lawyer buddies on it. Cause he, he was a worker's comp lawyer. He wasn't a criminal lawyer himself. And so, right. you know, I had this team of like expensive, uh, lawyers, but the judge was just like, I don't even want to hear it. Uh, you're getting six months, uh, one month for every speeding ticket you got. And, uh, and I'm going to make a lesson, you know, of you and, and throw you in jail. And so literally I'm just like looking at my dad and family and my brothers who came and waving goodbye. Uh, they transferred me over to the actual L.A. County prison, um, which is underneath uh, L.A., like downtown L.A. I mean, it's a pretty scary, crazy place. And uh, they, you know, I got a, I got a bunk and a, a section – to uh, kind of make my little home in and uh, they shut the door and I kind of went to bed thinking I'd be there for six months um, and uh, you know it, it, the jail experience was was definitely interesting for a 20 year old uh, you know surfer hair looking blonde white guy and uh, you literally you either make friends with the, the black guys the the Mexicans or the white supremacists. And uh, it really wasn't many options for a white guy. So the white supremacists were, uh, you know, welcoming me there. And uh, believe it or not, some dude with a giant swastika tattoo on his chest, which he wore no shirt at all times to let the black guys know I'm here. Um, He, the first thing he did was walk over and handed me a Bible and welcomed me and said, Hey, you know, we'll uh we'll protect you <laughs> i was like god <laughs> crap like i've seen enough movies to know like what that's about so i was like no i'm good you're seeing
0: like shawshank redemption man i you know,
1: know I was <laughs> like, man, like i i mean i was scared out of my mind and uh but i was thankful for the bible I was reading the bible um it was for i'd been there 14 days and uh i was reading the bible and over the loudspeaker you know it says justin dean line up for release uh and i was like Okay. Yeah. Like done. I line up. Uh, it was kind of tradition. Uh, there's like sections of the jail that, I mean, there's a good hundred people in this room. It's a big, like common room and there's 20 of these sections. The section I was in, you know, has a hundred people. Uh, and it's all just a bunch of bunk beds. And so apparently the tradition is when someone's released, you get jumped on your way out. So I'm sitting there, uh, waiting for the gate to open. And uh, can see everyone kind of walking towards me to, to, to rush and, and uh, you know, beat me up on my way out. Luckily, the doors opened. I jumped out They slammed doors and everyone's, you know, they didn't get to me in time. Uh, I had seen other, I'd seen that happen a few times before. One guy, they beat so much that he died in front of us. Mm. Um, and they had to come in in riot gear and block everyone off so that they could drag out the body. Uh, and so I'm sitting there thinking like, hell, like this is like, there's no way I'm surviving this, if they make it over. So luckily just, you know, whatever God's protection or, uh, you know, coincidence, I was able to get out. Uh, and they released me early. I didn't have to serve the whole six months. I only served the 14 days because LA County prisons are overcrowded and, uh, guys that are there for speeding tickets just aren't a high priority. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but uh yep. that kind of that kind of like that was you know my bottom that's about as as low as you can you can get uh and uh I immediately uh moved to Georgia. I was like, I need to get out of California. It's just not a good experience for me to be here. It's too hard to fit in uh the things you gotta do to fit in and my sister had actually uh become a Christian by then and and moved to Georgia, and so I came to live with her for. A month or two. And, uh, while well, I just kind of reestablished myself somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And, uh, through that, I met a, a, woman who's now my wife and that's kind of what made us stick around in Georgia. Um, we eventually got married, uh, but a year later we actually met each other because I started a blog. When I moved to Georgia, I started a blog. Blogs were huge at the time. It was a blogger blog. And, uh, mm-hmm. I, I was just spilling it. I, I, Talked about my jail time. I talked about everything, and it was kind of just like, "Hey, here's here's my life, and here's what's happened, and here's why I am dedicating myself to the Lord, you know, fully now, and trying to figure out what that even means." And kind of was just open on the blog, and she came across it, and uh, in one of the posts, I'd mentioned how I just loved drinking Red Bull, and she posted, "Oh, I love drinking Diet Coke," and it was just such a stupid, you know, dumb comment. She didn't even think anything of it. Kept going. And, uh, and, but that sparked a conversation and we ended up realizing we lived like a couple blocks from each other and, and eventually met up and got married. Um, and now, you know, we got four kids and we're coming up on 15 years of marriage. Um, and, uh, you know, obviously a big chunk of that is, uh, at one point we moved to Seattle for five years. Yeah. So
0: that, I want to get to that.
1: So.
0: <laughs> Not gonna lie. So. Like
1: gonna cut me off anytime. Cause I got a no, long, no, I got a long life.
0: So somehow, so, so you, you're in Georgia, you get married and somehow you get connected with Mars Hill. Yeah. Um, so how'd you get connected?
1: Well, uh, you know, when I, when I moved to Georgia, I eventually ended up getting, uh, you know, jobs at like tech startups. And um, I worked at autotrader.com for, for a while. And then uh, worked at a, a few different just tech startups. There's a big tech, scene here and uh through one of those uh a company that i was working for was actually headquartered in seattle and uh, we were going through an acquisition someone someone was going to buy the company but uh, it was a private cable company we wanted to make you know sure we had as many cable subscribers as possible before we sell it so they said why don't you actually move to seattle for six months um, I was running marketing for them. So it was my job to get as many subscribers as possible and um, make the company work as much as possible before we sell it. And so the deal was they moved us to Seattle. We actually owned a home by then in, in Atlanta. We kind of just packed some stuff up in storage and uh, moved to Seattle. They put us up in a corporate furniture department and we were supposed to only just be there for six months, help them sell the company, and then we'll come back. Um, and at the time we only had one kid he was two years old. And it was just a fun adventure. you know, my wife was like, yeah, heck, let's do it. You know, it'd be great money and, uh, and it'll be fun. We'll, we'll have an adventure. So we did. We loved it out there. Um, and uh, we're kind of living, living the life for a little while. Uh, the company did sell and ended up taking about a year. So we were there for a year before the company sold. And uh, the company that bought it actually offered me a job in North Carolina, uh, kind of near where you are. And uh we were considering taking that. It would have been a, a ton of money. And uh, but we had started going as a family to Marsh Hill Church just to attend church and we were kind of plugged in with a community group uh by then, you know, we had been there a year and we loved the Seattle area, it was a beautiful, uh, great place to be. And uh we just, you know, we had some friends. And so we decided, you know what, let's just let's just make our roots here. Let's let's uh you know we'll get rid of the house in Georgia and, and we'll move here and we'll make this our permanent space. And uh, not really having much plan as far as like you know my job and stuff, so I, st- I started applying at Microsoft and Expedia and all the big tech companies out there. And uh, through that, oh, the pastor of our campus of Marcella, we went to, he said, Man, we would we would benefit from a guy with your you know marketing experience uh, if you came and worked for the church. And I was just like, Okay, like do you know how much money I make? Like, this is like, that's no way you guys can afford that. He's like, dude, just, just apply if it's on your, on your heart and we'll figure it out. You know, just kind of see where God wants, wants you. And so I was like, whatever, you know, I, I thought it would be cool to work for Marshall church. It was a very creative place. Uh, you know, we loved the church. Uh, and so I applied and uh I mean, it got through the process and uh you know, I, I even submitted like our family budget. And I said, man, even if we just scrape some things out, here's the bare minimum I need to make. And uh, there's no way you guys can afford that. And they replied and said, yeah, you're right. There's no way we can afford that. Uh, They offered half of what I said was my minimum. And uh, we just kind of were like, my gosh, like that's, you know, that's just crazy for us at the time. I mean, I was 30 and uh, I mean, I had, you know, I was I was doing all right. I had climbed the ladder and uh I kind of thought I was on top of the world uh with you know even more room to to go. But God just like gripped our hearts, man, and uh and tore them apart and said, "No, nah, you're you're going to do this and it's going to be all right." We're to sell one of our cars to just make it work and um kind of, you know, downsize some things, but I took the job. And uh, it ended up being the PR manager for Mark Driscoll and Mars uh, Marshall Church, and, which is which uh, evolved into the whatever they were director.
0: yeah whatever they were paying you for being their PR and communications they needed to pay you more oh well, they
1: got a deal that's for yeah, sure yeah. we did not uh, know who we were walking into but ended yeah, up so, working here for five years
0: <laughs> yeah so Mark is one of the, like the the I, I mean what would you call him like uh, shock jock in some ways you either yeah, love him or hate him. Sure.
1: Yeah. I mean, he definitely doesn't, I mean, he's blunt. Yeah. And, uh, and that was kind of our audience at the time too. And as he grew the church before I came along, I mean, it was, it was 18 year old guys who were addicted to porn was the audience that he yeah. would yell at and whip into shape. And it, it worked. I mean, that's what attracted us to it. I was like, man, you're right. I, I'm a, I'm a horrible man and a horrible father and a horrible brother and a, you know, horrible husband. And, um, you know, that's what attracted us to it was I became an actual leader of our family because of Mark. So,
0: yeah. Yeah. So, so Mark goes through the, uh, and, and the stuff ranged from, you know, allegedly, you know, uh, plagiarism to like, to, uh, I don't know, a, a myriad of other things that they, that the elders and the, and, and from what I'm, from what I remember, even like all the campus pastors kind of came to a uniform agreement, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, kind of how it ended. I mean, so Mar- Marsh Hill ended uh, December 31st, 2014, which was my last day of employment with them. I was there to the very end. And I, I oversaw not only PR, but communications, content, social media, everything. I was the spokesperson for the church that last year during all that turmoil. But it started out with we were doing uh, media interviews. Uh, you know, we would we would go on radio shows and TV shows and you know, um, I, I'd be uh, on the phone with Mark. Uh, you know, taking notes and feeding him stuff, and uh, dealing with the the media people, and and uh, kind of acting in, in that role. And we were doing all these media interviews for his book. And uh, it started out with an interview with Janet Mefford. She's a radio talk show host, which at the time I think was part of like the Salem Network or something like that. Okay. And this and, was the real uh, marriage book. I think, yeah, this was the real marriage book, which had become a New York Times bestseller uh, because we had paid for it to be there and, uh, you know, did some kind of gray area marketing practices there. So it was already, but at this time, people didn't even really know that. Um, But she had found some parts of the book where um, he had quoted some of his friends, some other pastors and stuff, but we forgot to cite it. So we like, we published all of his books for him. We had a whole publishing company uh, that was owned by the church. Uh, you know, we had editors and writers on staff um, and I oversaw that whole team. And so we, you know, we, we researched his books, we edited them, we did all the citations, everything, and it was all in house. Um, and then we, we used uh, at the time it was Tyndale and Thomas Nelson uh, on that book. We're like our, um, it was like an imprint of their publishing company was how that works. But we forgot to cite a few things. Like we had, we had looked back and noticed, okay, they were in the notes, they were in the research, but when we copy and pasted things over, we forgot to properly cite it. And it was things like he was literally quoting one of his friends, like another author, another pastor. And we just forgot to cite it. So it's not like the people were even upset that we had it in there. It was, right. just, we, it was sloppy work on our part, but she claimed it as plagiarism and called them out on it. It became this crazy interview And that sparked all the bloggers uh, who got nothing better to do but jump on this kind of stuff to really pick apart every book we'd ever written and point out every little mistake. Uh, And that just kind of created a firestorm of people really looking into everything about us and and trying to take uh, Mark Driscoll down. And uh, it created a lot of infighting within our pastors and our, our people of our church that over the course of that year, just really imploded the church a bit. You know, pastors would leave and they'd take a few hundred people with them. Uh, they'd make accusations and claims that we couldn't really reply to that. There were church discipline cases that people would come out and share their side of it, but we still couldn't share our side. And so it just looked really bad. Uh, and I'm here trying to do all those statements and take all the interviews and say what we can, but not being able to say a lot. And really being told not to say a lot too, which was uh, led to, you know, the dis- PR disaster mm-hmm. uh the whole mess. But it got to the point where we had 15 locations, right? Each one had a lead pastor who oversaw that location, but Mark Driscoll was the senior pastor over it all. And uh and all the preaching was him on video. They'd preach occasionally. Mm-hmm. Um they pretty much uh got to the point where we had all these accusations lobbied against Mark and so we said, okay, we're gonna investigate that. They created a whole board to investigate it took months. They interviewed, you know, 50, 60 people, uh, you know, and it it was people inside and outside that were uh, leading this, this charge. And, uh, they came back and they said, well, we haven't found him to be disqualified. He's not disqualified to to preach or, or, you know, be an elder or anything, but, uh, he is arrogant. He is a, a bad leader. He's definitely done some, some issues that, make us say, okay, he probably shouldn't lead the church in this way, or at least he should step down for a while and and get some help and we can figure this out. And so their, their plan was that the 15 individual lead pastors of each church would become the collective management of the church. And eventually Mark would still preach and be the, you know, the kind of main uh, person on, on video Um, but instead Mark was like, "No, I'm just, I'm going to quit. I mean, and in his defense, he felt God had called him to say that he's released and and can quit. Um, but he kind of blindsided us by just saying, no, I'm out. Like if I can't lead the whole church and preach and you haven't even, you're saying I'm not disqualified. So, you know, I should be able to just do what I want. Uh, he basically, uh, stepped away and left us, uh, just, you know, without a leader and uh, really our contingency plan, you know, should he die or quit or anything was that each campus would become their own autonomous campus. That was mm-hmm. kind of our plan. We, we had the option. We had a meeting. We said we could bring in another leader. We could raise up another leader. We could hire or whatever. And we just decided, you know what, let's just, let's just be done. So Mars Hill ceased to exist and each of the 15 locations became their own church. And we split up all the assets and, they all went yeah, their so own
0: different way. I'm assuming like financially, they just divided up based upon like. Oh yeah. I mean, it took another
1: year to sell off buildings and assets and cars and trucks and stuff. But um, each church, uh, there were 15, it windled down to 12 because a couple merged. Um, and uh, I mean, they each got the building that they were in. They either took over the lease or we gave them the building. Um, the other buildings, like we had central offices and stuff that we sold um and all of our assets and we just divided it up. I mean each church got a couple million dollars mm-hmm. their building and the following that all we, that already went there. So I mean it, you know it was kind <laughs> of their dream like you know sign all, me up all,
0: <laughs> Sign me up, right? Yeah. yeah.
1: They're all still going strong. I mean they're all done in a different way. Some have kind of abandoned our core doctrine and theology and, and things like that. And uh but for the most part I mean they're all healthy Growing, you know, good churches, which is, which is crazy. But they have nothing to do with Marsilio anymore. I mean, that that brand and that name is yeah. gone.
0: Well, and and Mark's landed, you know, in uh, in Arizona.
1: Yeah, um, yeah. He replanted a year or two later, and yeah, uh, you know, it's kind of under the radar for the most part.
0: Kind of, yeah. Kinda and that's, me, just this that's last
1: the, year, we had another book coming out. But.
0: <laughs> that's been the most unique thing. Is it seems like. And, and and maybe I'm just I don't know him. You know, I've never never had one conversation with him, but it seems yeah. as if he's a little more content being under the radar. And um, yeah, you know, I I don't know. I know that he's made a couple of statements about like kind of attacking uh, his reformed roots and things. Yeah, like a year ago, and that caused like a. He's little definitely more
1: trying to get more in with like the charismatic crowd now, and that's who we well, see. That's church a, now.
0: Theologically, though, there's a whole Matt Chandler. Yeah, I mean, there's a whole movement now of oh, like, yeah. the reformed, the careful continuous, yeah. right? Like in yeah. that reformed, which is
1: well, actually, reformed is now a bad word. Uh, right. Calvin, you know, Calvinist is a is a cuss word now. I mean, it's it's interesting
0: <laughs> the yeah. way
1: that things have uh, have really turned and, and the way that uh, you know a few people have tarnished those those words. Even Christian now is becoming. Right, a bad word uh, among Christians, which is just interesting to me. Evangelicals, for sure, are a bad one because of the political. Yeah, the political.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I do think that's an interesting concept, though, of of those that have those reformed roots that are somewhat embracing uh, a continuous um, theology
1: as well. I just mean, because, like, you know, Mark named his kid Calvin. He's, right. you know, he even said at one point he, he doesn't believe in the five tulip points anymore, but then he kind of clarified that and said he, he, you know, he's always had a nuance with one. He's always kind of said, I'm a 45 or you know, and yeah. that's, that's what we taught at Mars Hill. And so I don't think his beliefs have changed at all, but he's, his, like, I don't know, personality is the wrong word, just his persona around it has for sure changed. And I think in a lot of ways, a, a healthy way that's a little more shepherding and loving. I think he's learned quite a bit uh, through that, but
0: I don't know. I don't, I don't
1: interact with him uh, you know, Yeah. at all anymore.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. I, every now and then, like, I think I follow his ministry on Facebook and so there'll be a yeah. video pops up and, and definitely I will say like his reach and, and once again, things are good things for him. Yeah. But, like it's not nearly what it was and there is not nearly as much, a hoopla
1: around it, which is I mean, just enjoying, the, you know, his family and, yeah. and not having all the the heat on him, I would imagine. But at the same time, having worked with him and and knowing him a bit, I I can't. It's got to be hard not to have the platform either, because that's what I mean. That's what we were all about was how how can we get the biggest, best platform for good reasons to share a good message. But uh, it certainly left a lot of room for for pride and arrogance and and abuse.
0: Yeah, I think I think that if church leaders are listening to this, I mean that's that's one of the things when you hop into ministry, especially in a lead a lead role, um, it's one of the major things that you have to prepare yourself for. And that is, what if what if I blow up in success? Like, how am I am I prepared to handle that? And I know God, you know, in His in His sovereignty, He has those things prepared for certain people and not for other people. But you know, in my mind, I think you know, here I am, a church of 120 people or whatever. Um, you know, a couple of years in, you know, not much I say gets, gets around, but what what if it did, you know? And like, I I always try to think through that lens, especially in the digital age, which is where I want to head next, especially in the digital age in which we live. So you've, you've taken your, your life experience in the IT world and the technology world. And then in the church world, um, you wrote a book called PR matters, um, which, which And your, as you just explained your Mars Hill time, um, I'm, I'm sure, um, you know, sparked that. Um, and then, but then you've, but then you've, you've kind of branched out in more of an entrepreneurial way in serving the church and some other facets. So explain kind of your journey from there where you are now, what you're doing.
1: Yeah. I mean, when Mars Hill closed, uh, you know, I found myself without a, a job. I mean, we, but by the time Mark quit and and ended was a three month period and uh, we had not planned for that. We had not anticipated it by any means. Um, had you asked me at the time, what, what am I going to do with my life? Like that was it. I was at the height. I was, I loved my job. I was, I was, you know, uh, had adjusted, uh, to, to the life and, um, was good at it to some extent. And, uh, that's what I wanted to do. I was fully on board with the mission. Uh, and then it just kind of ended and we were unemployed. Um, so we, we moved back to Georgia. It was really the only place, you know, we just, we knew people here. And so it was like, okay, let's move back to Georgia while we figure out what's next. And, uh, we had a number of churches, uh, actually had the opportunity at that point to work with Greg Laurie. Uh, he, he called me up and said, Hey, um, you know, we would love to, to work with you. We realize you're out of a job and we love what, you, what you've what done at, at Marsh Hill. And can you come down here and help us? So I actually flew down there, spent a month down there and, and uh, helped them relaunch their website and uh, do a bunch of other stuff. And they wanted to hire me as their communications director. Um, and we just, we didn't really want to move to California. I was like, look, I, I know I've lived here uh, before and it's great. Uh, but my, my wife just had no interest uh, in it. And, Uh, there's no way you know at that point we had more kids and um, it's just it's hard living in California money-wise and so it just didn't work we turned it down but I said hey we're gonna move to Georgia and uh, I'll work for you from there if if you'll have me and so for a good year so I I was kind of their remote communications person and and helped them kind of reform some of their teams and website and stuff so that was great but we just we didn't want to I didn't want to work for another church again. Um, you know, we, I had interviewed at Elevation and Life Church and a bunch of the others too, who were all kind of showing interest and, and, uh, you know, for a while I was just kind of consulting and filling the void. Um, but I had just been through the, the biggest, you know, church crisis that the church really has ever seen, uh, that isn't a sexual scandal and uh and there was a- and, and
0: by the way how kind of ironic and i don't mean this in a bad way towards mark but if you would have had, if you would have said like here are the here are the five possibilities of what a mark driscoll involved scandal would be i think sex would have been number 1 by
1: far sure i mean and and as the pr guy like you know we had we had stuff like that like know, knowing him and how devoted he was to, to grace or is yeah. grace yeah, that's, that's not, I'm not, that was not thought at all, but yeah. knowing, knowing the temptation that's got to be there and the accusations that certainly could be made, I'm surprised that that, that never even made it into the list of allegations. Right. Uh, it kind of does now. I've, I've seen it pop up a few times now, and I've even corrected people on Twitter to be like, hey, like, by no means was that ever a thought. Right. <laughs> not that yeah. he. He just he, infallible, he's, but
0: <laughs> right. He spoke about it a lot, and it became one of his like you know, if you were looking for like a controversial take on something, yeah. a lot of times his 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 sex talks and stuff. Yeah. But but that that's neither here. I've helped
1: I've pastors at smaller churches now because churches call me all the time now because of the book and because of my experience, Mars Hill. If they're in a crisis, and that's the number one nine nine out of times nine out of ten times if a church is mm-hmm. calling me, it's because either either the a pastor or a pastor has done something that. They need help with, or there's an accusation there mm-hmm. of a sexual nature, and uh, and we we don't know if it's true or not, but we gotta help them through it, and uh, that's just it's a major it's a major thing it's a major temptation it's a major oh. thing a lot of people operate with no accountability and, it, yep. and it's it's really hard so, but I, I've taken those lessons and you know wrote the book for sure but uh, we started a conference called that church conference which really uh, encompasses all communications and social media for churches but. I started that in 2015 and we're now going on to our sixth year and uh you know I I do some teaching through it but I I bring in Mm -hmm. uh practitioners who are actually in churches doing the work and I bring them in to speak and uh, we've had uh, we just I've loved kind of leading that and uh, building a community around it trying at the heart of it all to help churches uh shift into the digital age um you know we've seen with with covid over the last few months how important that no. has been for churches um and, and i'm excited now for the future because churches saw the value of it the world saw that we don't need a building and now as we're talking about reopening and stuff we got to figure out uh the role that digital plays within that And so a lot of what i do is just help churches think through that either through the conference or through content and resources that we're putting online and uh, through coaching and consulting and stuff like that. So yeah, I've so been that the last five or six years.
0: <laughs> yeah. You have Sunday You, is that right? Yeah. Um, and that's a, that's, that's a website, obviously a coaching thing, but there's yep. Facebook is where I've, where I, um, you know, have connected through that. Yep. Um, and, and then just the power of that, I believe you're right. It, it has been interesting. I'm a social media guy at like the most organic level. So like, I'm not, I'm not the guy and I run our social for our church and I'm not the guy that like plans out and schedules my posts. And I'm like, I want to make sure that I have this on this day and this on that day. I'm more of like an in the moment guy, like an organic guy. And I know that while our church is at our size, I can be that. I know that's not feasible as we continue to grow. Um, but, but it is strategic and it's interesting to me and you know, we're a smaller church, but since we've gone online, um, only, you know, after I believe the second week of March, Right um, we've added I believe there's four people local that have filled out our connect our our online connect card right, and like two out of those four people have even begun giving wow,
1: that's fantastic, and yeah,
0: they've never stepped foot in our church
1: yeah.
0: yet into a physical building,
1: wow, um, that's pretty so cool. like,
0: yeah, man, and that's been you know, and I know we're yep. we're a small sample size, but
1: yeah i think well it's interesting like i mean you know when when radio was the the big medium to get content out tv came along and uh they said okay well let's put a camera in the radio studio and we'll just we'll film the radio show and we'll put that out there and it sucked you know for a while people were like this is cool we can see it but then it was like what is this this is just radio and then they realized okay we got to adapt this we can actually create tv shows we can create you know things that work for the medium they created sitcoms and i love lucy and stuff came out and it it adapted to that and then the internet came along and i feel like now churches are just saying well cool let's stick a camera in the auditorium and we'll just show what we do on sundays online and boom now we're we're online and and we're we're digital and it's like okay that was step one now we've got to figure out uh for one we could have done it 10 years ago but now we gotta figure out how do we adapt to this medium because it's, it's huge. Like a church of a hundred or a church of 70,000 can reach the world online and create content that actually works for the medium. And uh, that's yeah. kind of what we're figuring out going well, forward, especially now that we see, okay, it isn't all about the live stream. It isn't all about our right. building. Uh, it can be so much more.
0: Yeah. A couple of things I've thought through this, the le- the playing field is more level now. And I know certain churches have, like much larger followings and things on, online than others. But at yeah. the end of the day, we all have access to the same internet and we all have access to the same amount of people. And so the level, right. the playing field is a little more level. And then the second thing, and I, I, I wrote this in some sort of like Facebook post or something, but I, I hope the church is learning. And what I've learned <laughs> is that we need to be creating for us, it would be weekly unique content for our online audience only. Right. And like you said, not just throwing a camera on what we're already doing on a Sunday, but Well, that
1: one lady who watched and now is giving, it's like what are you going to do? Tell her, "Hey, I know that this worked for you so far, but if you really want to be committed now, you've right. got to come to our building every Sunday and stop watching online because that's yeah. what makes you a good Christian." It's like, "No way, like please don't don't go that route. Yep. tell her that." Like, Yep. Start adapting towards that and continue to provide her content, like get her in a community somehow with yep. other believers. Sure. But that doesn't have to be on Sunday at your building.
0: For right? sure, man. And, and I'm learning that as a pastor and, and I'll be honest with you, man, as a lead pastor, like there's a struggle there. You know oh, what I mean? There is a struggle there and, yeah. and like, and, and trying to, um we all try to quantify things and we all kind of have our, our ways of doing that and our metrics and, yeah. and whatnot. And the easiest metric, right? There's two, simple metrics in church. And that is attendance numbers and giving numbers, right? Like those are like Like the,
1: the software we use is based on it. Like uh, what are we going to tell planning center next year? Well, we only got 12 people. So drop those rates, please. Even though we've got 300,000 watching online, those aren't real attenders. Don't worry about it. Hey, don't, don't get me started
0: on that tiered system planning center. They get you, they get you in
1: while you're small. And then before you know it, Oh you're like, yeah. dollars. Like, oh, oh, you have a thousand people coming.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it, man. I Make always that.
1: say when, when outreach calls, you're like, Oh, we've got 70,000 people on a Sunday. Yeah, totally. We're the fastest growing, but then Planning Center called you like, Oh, uh, it's really, you know, it's 30. downhill lately. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I love it, man. It's so true. It's it's so true. I, I think, I do think that, you know, it, but it becomes complex It becomes complicated. I know, um, I know Brady, you're, you're friends with Brady Shear. I don't know him personally, but I follow some of his stuff and, and, um, I have like a love hate relationship with some of the digital marketers too. to be honest with you. I, 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 you know what I mean? Like, anyway, um, Brady will be
1: the first to tell you that him and I have a love hate relationship. Okay.
0: Okay. Good. good, good. Yeah. But, but I do love, um, and, and I kind of dove into this in a different way of like trying to actually quantify like your reach on say a Facebook video. Yeah. Yeah. Because Facebook is so they, they want you to feel successful. Right. They want you to think, dude, we had, Four thousand views on this video, right? And our church is only 120 people. Like, look at and then and then they add even reach, which is the funniest to me. Like, right. you know, the reach was this, and then right. at the end of the day, you none know, of
1: it matters. What does it even mean? Like, right.
0: Yeah, I mean, a view is a three-second, you know, click by. You know, that's the same as someone sitting down and watching, uh, you know, four minutes of content. You know, so like, and I know now the metrics they see, you can see the total amount of minutes right. watched and. And you can dive into that a little bit more, I mean, but I, I try to like our church was so pumped when we first went online because we didn't spend the money on live stream equipment because we were in a elementary school, right? The Wi Fi and the internet there was terrible. Yeah. We couldn't stream. So like our first live streaming was when we went to COVID, and we we uh-huh. did, uh, we ended up doing Sling Studio and like we raised yeah. the money for stuff, you know, whatever. Yeah. And um, and so, but our people were so pumped, and I'm like, I'm trying to be, like, I want to be excited. I'm excited, yeah. but at the end of the day, it's kind of like, okay, let's look at the total number of minutes and let's think about like the logic behind who really participated in an online environment.
1: Right.
0: You know what I mean? And like trying to just be real with myself. And then what we've noticed is the smaller, shorter, more concise, where we're really engaging just in an online environment. We've gotten so much more quality.
1: Even if it's it's like people are on their own having to choose to engage with it. Yeah, They're not, Drag to a building or something, and they're only engaging because they're there. I mean, I, like, frankly, like those are all good things to to track and pay attention to. It can help you determine what's working and what's not working, or if people are seeing it all, like stuff like that. I mean, definitely track it. But even like even Sunday attendance has really never meant anything to me. It's like okay, mm-hmm. yeah. Two years ago, we had a thousand people come in every week and now we got 3000. Obviously the church is growing and something's working or, you know, whatever factors went into that. You can, you can measure all that and that's good. But what does it matter? Like the church of 3000, is it any better than the church of a thousand? We don't know until you actually start talking to those people. So if you've got 10 people who watch your live stream or 10,000 it really doesn't matter if you're not connecting with those people and mm-hmm. hearing their stories and getting to know them and, and finding out if they're in community and things like that. Like out of all your viewers, you know, you have one story of that, that woman who's never been to church but started watching and now is giving. Obviously, there's something there and there's a story behind that. It's like that's, that's the one metric I want to know about. Okay, mm-hmm. out of the 100 people, one has never been to church and starts giving That's awesome. That's, that's the metric that matters. I don't know anything about the other hundred people.
0: Yeah.
1: You know, why aren't they giving, why, you know, are they watching other streams where are they even located? Like that's what we need to figure out. Use the technology to be able to, to get to know these people and connect with them in, in ways that's more than just, here's a link to give. And here's, here's where our services are on Sunday. Yeah especially if they're not even local it's like we sh- we should be able to reach people everywhere.
0: Yeah, yeah, I love that. And you mentioned community and and one of the things that's kind of a a, a value of our church is just that that family spirit of like there's accountability involved. There's you know we're we're, we're not a church that you can just like exist in like we're a church yeah. that you must participate in and like yeah. that's just the way it is. And um I don't know so I don't know the answer to this question so you, you may not be but I, But as you transitioned back to Georgia out of a large, multi-site, super complex style, where did you land church-wise, like with your family, and how did
1: that process go? Well, when we first moved back, we actually had a discussion. We said um, we should just take a few months off and not do church. Like that that sounded refreshing to us. Uh, I mean, you know, I – we didn't get into it at all, but like those last three months, being the spokesperson for that church was intense for us as a family. And we got threats, we got, we had people coming, um, you know, to our home. Uh, we ordered, I ordered a pizza once and the pizza delivery guy texted me and he, he said, I know who you are and I'm not delivering this pizza. And I had to call Papa John's and say, Hey, not only is this really inappropriate, but this guy has my address. And he hates me enough to lose his job over this. So what are you going to do about it? Like, mm-hmm. I mean, we were just scared out of our minds. And, uh, and, you know, Mark was getting, you know, things thrown at him and thrown at his kids and stuff. And it just, it was crazy. And so, we, you know, not having to deal with church at all for a few months was very, very uh, tempting. But we kind of made the decision. We said, hey, if we do that, we'll probably never go back to church. Like, it'll mm-hmm. just be too great. So we purposely said, okay, that very first weekend, we, we just got to pick a church and do it. And, uh, and North Point campuses with Andy Stanley actually mm-hmm. had just launched. That weekend was opening their Gwinnett church campus. Mm-hmm. And it was like down the street from us. Like we could have walked there. And so I said, okay, you know, I know Andy Stanley enough. We had actually interacted a few with interviews and stuff with Mark. And I said, okay, you know, I trust them enough that we can go we can go check this out. So we we ended up going there and we went there for a good two years and, and uh we enjoyed it. Uh the kids loved the kids environments and stuff and we were serving in the uh the kids area and stuff like that. But um it actually had gotten to a point after two years where uh um we were we were really considering actually taking a job at church on the move in, in Tulsa and uh and God kinda spoke to me and my wife that weekend. We we had actually we had received an offer from them on a Friday and I said I'll I'll get back to you on Monday with my answer, you know, give us the weekend to to pray about it. And uh, a friend of ours had invited my wife. She said, "Hey, you should come to our church. It's an Acts 29 church, and uh, I think you guys would love it there." And so we said, "You know what? Let's let's just pray about it. Let's go check out this other church this weekend that your friend wants us to go to, and then we'll make our decision about church on the move." And uh we walked into this church, this Acts 29 church, called the Mayus Church, mm-hmm. and. Uh, they started singing citizens and saints songs and, uh, some Dustin Kendrew covers. And, uh, the, the stage has, you know, plywood, uh, wood. Things. I mean, it, it looked like a Mars Hill campus. Yeah. They were singing Mars Hill songs. Uh, the preacher preached for an hour and 20 minutes out of, uh, Exodus, you know, just verse by verse. And I was just like, we're, we're home, man. This is, this is, you know, we're back to, you know, the good teaching and, and good, uh, you know, good, solid biblical worship and, and things like that. And so, I don't know, it kind of just was, uh, you know, I looked at my wife and I said, well, what are you thinking about, you know, the Tulsa job? Cause it was a really great job, but we were very excited for it. We had even said if they actually offer it, we'll do it. And we, you know, they flew the whole family out there and we spent some time there and loved it. And, uh, you know, she, she just said, I don't think we should take it. And I said, oh, thank God, because that's what I'm thinking, too. And I just have been nervous about it. And so I called them back, and they were like, what? Like, why? Like, what are you talking about? And uh, they were very supportive and, and understanding uh, why we would turn it down. But, uh, you know, God has, God has called me, I think, to, to, to run this, this business, Helping Churches and the conference, and uh, that's what we've been doing for a while. And uh, so now we go to Emmaus church. It's a small, you know, 300 person church tops mm-hmm. and, uh, but we love it. Great teaching uh, by Anson McMahon's the pastor there. And, uh, and, you know, by no means have anything against Gwinnett church or Andy Stanley or Jeff Henderson or anybody like we great friends with them still. And uh, the conference, we actually host the conference at Gwinnett church uh, each year now. And so I'm uh, very supportive of them and, and what they do. It just for us, we just we feel like we're now you know part of the family at Emmaus and they've actually been able to use you know my skill and when they needed a new website I was able to help them out with that and stuff like you know I do not want to serve in the kids ministry if I don't <laughs> have to do. At you know at North Point it's like that's basically where you serve that's there's no other options but here they were like oh you're Mark Driscoll's old PR guy you actually helped start the network we're part of cool can we tap you
0: for information. Yes, you can. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, and it's I may, this is a good, a good spot to end on. I, I, and once again, you, you mentioned it like no slight towards North point, no slight towards church on the move, uh-huh. but those ministries are, are, are highly different uh, cultures and highly yeah. different uh, philosophies than,
1: uh, than where you're at now. And Totally. Yeah. And so at the end of the day, Peter is wrong, but they are night and day. Like, yeah, that's probably why we felt comfortable for a while at, at uh, the North point church because we could literally be who we want and do what we want. Like we could just slip in and out. We could sit in the back and not be known. And, but we could also die. Like we went to a community group and got known that way for a while too. It was just, and honestly, we learned a ton. Like Gwinnett church mm-hmm. is by far the best hospitality first time guest experience I've ever seen. They like, you know, Jeff literally has written the book on it now Mm -hmm. uh, about how to do that and how to market your church. Well, like we, you know, the perfect church in my mind would be Mars Hill and Gwinnett church merged together somehow. Like they, they did children's ministry. Excellent. We sucked at children's ministry at Mars Hill. Like we were all about just the preaching is, is the only important thing. And you know, it's, it's interesting. Like I learned a ton about, uh, the good and bad experiences of both.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I love the fact that, like, for me as a pastor, I've committed to, like, verse-by-verse teaching. And so, like, I love, uh, to me, and not that it's the only way, um, not at all. Yeah. Um, I'm,
1: not a, I'm not against topical teaching at all, um, you know, it, but it's interesting. But I think my conviction is, yeah, I just I want to learn more about the Bible and have everything based, uh, you know. Th- there's I, enough yeah. content there in the Bible that, that God's given us. I don't know why we got to you know, add too much to it, but uh, you know, a topical sermon every once in a while as, as appropriate is, is not a big deal to me at all. And I think it's actually great.
0: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, look, Justin, I appreciate you coming on, man. So where can people find you uh, social wise and websites and all those types of things?
1: Yeah. If you go to Sunday to Sunday.com. So Sunday, T O Sunday.com that'll list out every, every little thing we're uh, involved in. We've got the conference, we've got resources for churches online. A lot of it is free. And uh, so if you're with the church or a pastor, I would encourage you to check that out. And uh, if there's a way we can help, let us know. Um, and I'm on social everywhere, Justin J. Dean on, on Twitter. Uh, mostly is a great way to get a hold of me and interact with me.
0: Cool, man. Well, thanks for coming on, man. We had real conversations about life. We learned a lot about your life and some lessons for sure, man. And uh, thank you for tuning in once again to the Real Life Combos podcast. And we will see you next time.